GM everybody, welcome to Flywheel Pod, your number one source for everything, Frax, DeFi, and everything in between. If you want to know what's going on in the world on chain, you come to the right place. This is DeFi Dave here with Capital K, and we are here to help you harness the power of the flywheel. And before we get into it, if you want to catch everything Flywheel, make sure you subscribe right now to your YouTube Go to flywheel.com, subscribe to our newsletter for all the latest updates, insights, and everything in between. And now getting into it this week, we go off chain and we go to the smallest computer in the world. We go to the radical semiconductor card, a post quantum chip that is actually a hardware wallet that is unlocking the next generation of payments of Web3 native payments. Um, this was a really interesting episode. I originally met Sean last week during Missouri Mainnet happy hour, and I was enthralled with what he was building because I've never, I mean, we talk about like, oh, like hard, we talk about like, how do we get to the consumer? Like, what is the infrastructure needed? And I'm not talking about like your like software infrastructure, like actual hardware, you know, world of Adams infrastructure. And this is it. This was a fascinating episode and we learned a lot. Kit, what are your thoughts on this one? I honestly, this was an unusual one. When uh, Radical came on the docket, I was like, what the hell is Dave thinking? <laughs> but immediately, less than five minutes into the interview, I knew I was going to learn something because this is yeah. so radically different than what we're used to. So I'm excited for the listeners to kind of learn about what it's like when you tap that card at the point of sale system. What happens? Right. We all talk about yeah. mass adoption, and this is effectively what it looked like. And not only that, but the possibilities that are abound for communities, for DAOs, for NFTs, sort of like for like literally anything to like unlock this power. And like we get into it on the episode because it really brings like the combination, it brings self-sovereignty to the point of sale, which is like absolutely revolutionary. But before we get into it, make sure you go and subscribe to our YouTube. Hit that bell button, subscribe, leave us a comment, let us know what you think. Give us a like. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at FlywheelDefi. Make sure you follow us on TikTok at FlywheelDefi. Make sure you access our FriendTech for exclusive show notes after the no at FriendTech FlywheelDefi. Make sure you join our Telegram at FlywheelDefi and follow me on Twitter at DefiDay22. Follow me at 0x capital underscore K. And you know what it is. Let's get the flywheel spinning. Do you hold ETH but don't know what to do with it? Want to earn those juicy liquid staking derivative yields but don't know where to start? Well, Frax ETH is there for you. Frax ETH is Frax's native LSD solution, allowing you to earn boosted yields in multiple ways on your ETH. If you want to get started, go to app.frax.finance and turn your ETH into Frax ETH today. All right, everyone. Welcome back to this episode of Flywheel DeFi. I'm your host, DeFi Dave, here with Capital K. And this time around, we go off the chain onto the hardware stack with Mr. Sean Hackett, the founder, co-founder of Radical Semiconductor. And you might be wondering, like, what the hell is this card in my hand? I mean, there's a fingerprint. There's like this little chip right here. It looks like any other card. But you know what? It's not. It's something real special. And honestly, like we only met last week, Sean, during a Missouri at a happy hour. And I was so like entranced with this card, like, like the way you're explaining it and like all of its capabilities. And you know, I was just like, I got to have you on because I want to keep asking these questions. 
Well, it's so great to be here, Dave. Uh, meeting you at that bar, you were probably the very first person I met when I was in New York and gave a card to. All that week, I was handing out cards, and you got first pick of the litter. Oh, I, I am honored. I got 72. 72 is a pretty good number. Uh, yeah. A lot of people got left with some pretty crap numbers when I was leaving New York. So, How many cards uh, did you give away? Uh, we gave around between 50 and 60 cards. Nice. Wow. Yeah, I know. Like 72 is sentimental to me because it's my football number. And I'm just like, I got to get 72. Well, it was awesome meeting you at that bar. It was a pleasure explaining it to you and meeting some of your friends there. Uh, yeah. Nice warm welcome to New York. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And was this your first time in New York? Not my first time. I've got family up there, but this was my very first time being there on behalf of Radical Semiconductor. In fact, it was my very first crypto conference. Yeah. And like before we get into Radical, let's get a little bit into you, your background, um, and then we'll get into Radical. So like, can you introduce yourself to the audience, a little bit of intro and a little bit of, about yourself and everything? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Sean Hackett. I'm the CEO of Radical Semiconductor. Uh, me and my two co-founders, Zach and Katie, founded this company when we were students at Stanford. Uh, my co-founder, Zach, our CTO, was a hardware person who knew how to make chips. My other co-founder, Katie, is a cryptographer, was participated on a bunch of cybersecurity teams. And my personal background is physics and economics, two very way out there uh, fields of study that have nothing to do with crypto or or doesn't or, or maybe it does. That's the thing. Uh, well, I got really interested in crypto when I was there because I had spent a lot of time around a lot of deep technology. Uh, one of the projects I worked on when I was there was building a new kind of particle accelerator. I've also worked in photonics and even had a stint on Wall Street. And something that really uh, was quite disappointing in my time working on laboratory technology was how difficult it was to commercialize. Mm. Uh, but a lot of the things that my co-founders Zach and Katie were doing relied upon uh, advanced computation, uh, cryptographic algorithms, and running them really efficiently. And so when we got together, we noticed that there was a really great synergy between all our worldviews, and that's when we started Radical. We wanted to make a really, really efficient processor for cryptography that could do a lot more than what your current secure element can do in your phone, in your smart card chip, in the data center, uh, and really make fundamental progress in that field. And uh, we ended up going into the crypto field because when we asked ourselves the question, which industry is the one that is itching the most for the latest, the greatest, the most innovative cryptography? We thought it was going to be defense turned out not to be defense. We thought it would be people in banking, got a little bit warmer, and then it clicked for us. We started meeting people in crypto. These are the folks that are the most excited to get the latest crypto cryptographic primitives algorithms in their hands ASAP because you guys are the ones innovating. You guys are the ones building new products way faster than everyone else. I think it's the reason why crypto is really going to take off. A lot of I met a lot of great protocols and companies in New York this past week that are doing some very, very great stuff that I can guarantee that none of the banks, none of the defense companies are even close to doing. So when y'all got together, um, I guess you're saying your master's or your PhD, and you mentioned that you all had similar worldviews. Uh, what was your world views and like, how does that service a foundation for radical superconductor? So I think something that we 
had experienced the three of us was uh, being around a lot of people who made tech companies. And when we had gone to school to study some very, very hard science, uh, we were a little bit disappointed to see that most tech companies were basically centered around like consumer grade software and weren't really pushing the ball forward on a lot of the great laboratory grade tech that we had seen. Um, and we know that it's because you just need good product people who are smart and understand these things to sort of see how it can be useful for the customer. That's really what prevents really great laboratory technology from really making it out into the world. And so building radical semiconductor is a little bit less about just finding one thing that works and then running with it. It's a lot more about building a greater vision with a deep technical insight that we know because we're at the edge of our fields, but the rest of the world does and knows nothing about. Uh, that's where this company started from. It was wanting to bring the latest innovations we are finding in computation, hardware, and cryptography, and make it commercializable. Yeah, wow. Um, do you think this is like a common problem? Like you have this like really cutting edge tech, hard science. I mean, like we're we're in it. We're in like the cutting edge of finance uh, with crypto, what's going on in DeFi and whatnot. But you are in like the cutting edge of hard science. And so, do you think this is a, a common, are there other applications in hard sciences that, you know, could be commercialized, but there isn't just, there's not enough attention there, or is there not enough people there? Is there not enough expertise there? Is this like a common problem? Is this radical semiconductor prop that you are solving with radical semiconductor with crypto? Is this a common problem with hard sciences in general? I, I definitely think that it is. There's so much great research that goes under the radar simply because nobody's really paying attention to it. There are a lot of um, deep tech uh, venture capital funds that participate and try to be at the very forefront of what's going on across things like biotech, uh, nanotechnology, hardware, climate technology, et cetera, et cetera. They try to be at the forefront of these things, um, but it's very, very hard for the scientists and the researchers who build the technology to understand how it can be applied usefully for a customer. Mm, I think it, it sounds it, really familiar, right, Kit? Yes, yes, it does. Actually, uh, <laughs> oh, why does it class, sound familiar to you guys? There was a class during my, my MBA that actually called uh, of tech commercialization, and it is about looking at all the uh, patents that the university had and figuring out a way to commercialize it. And there's like all these steps and procedures that you kind of have to go through <laughs> oh, on the administrative really? side, but also on obviously the business and the, the economic side too. So yeah, it, it's a ton of work. No question. What, what did you, how, what, what was your project at the end of the day? How did you end up looking at these patents and what could you make out of it? It was actually so difficult that I decided to switch class. <laughs> I attended the no first way. day. Oh my god! <laughs> I attended the first day, and then I saw what we had to do, and I was like, "No, this is too much work for me." <laughs> oh. It yeah. is a lot of work. Yeah, no that's pressure. like a perfect example of like the problem. Yeah, like, exactly. how do you commercialize these like really cool hard sciences? It's like it's there. It takes like what this sounds familiar to me because crypto has a lot of great devs and a lot of brilliant devs and they're building a lot of cool shit. 
Yes. But sometimes they're like the stuff that they're building is just not relevant to consumers. Like it's just either like it's like too technical. It's like it's like too it's like a hobbyist that takes something too far. It's like cool, don't get me wrong, but it's like not useful. Like the like the problem with crypto is like people are like building a bunch of shit, but like it's just it's just is like some like optimized like hyper version of of something. It's not something that's super useful. Um and I think like it's like it takes product people. I think like where this problem sounds familiar in both like hard sciences and crypto, it's it takes product people and people with soft skills to like to understand how the product works and how it's actually useful to wider consumers to come in and like figure out like what's useful. And it's it's hard. It's a hard problem. It was easy yeah. then like it would be there would be like a plethora of like new updates. Mm -hmm. But like I feel like the last like big hardware innovation we've had was uh like the iPhone and maybe we're having like VR now with headsets, but you know, does that make sense? I think it absolutely makes sense. It's um, the kinds of consumer customer experience level gains that you can make on the hardware side are pretty few and far between. Um, and product level gains across the board can be really difficult to achieve sometimes too. I'm very lucky to be on a team who you know, it's a team full of people who understand technology very deeply, but also really care about the customer experience as well. Uh, it's a mm -hmm. bit weird saying that because my two co-founders are like really deep scientific people. But uh, yeah. the reason we, we made the decision to switch out of places like defense to come here because we know we can make a difference in crypto. And yeah, I can't imagine that, how hard it was to be in de de defense. Oh, wait, um, can I just add one more thing? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, because I, I watched something recently about um, Palantir uh, and like how they were like trying to break in the into the defense industry with their and like how hard it was. It took like fifteen years because of like you know all the major defense contractors were so entrenched, and they were basically taking a Silicon Valley approach to yes. get and like go and like reach out to soldiers on the ground um, and like you bring their product to the ground, and it took years it literally took years for them to, to for like to get like the proper attention so like defense i feel like was just like a no-go from the start if you want to like go like fast you know what i mean uh, if you want to move at the pace a startup needs to move at to get things done it's just not going to be it's not always the move to go into the defense world yeah correct and uh, the reason why I, I wanted to hop in there is because you chose crypto and one thing about crypto folks are we have an extremely high threshold for pain when it comes to product and when we want to use the product to learn how to use the product. And we're yes. just so like amendable to like, oh, it has a bug. Of course it has a bug. <laughs> you know, like we're not going to like blow up in, in, in the um, uh, product creator space. Like we actually get feedback and obviously you get engaged in the community. So you chose a really good, you know, target market for your product. Uh, that's, that's exactly what I found as well. As soon as I started speaking with people in crypto, uh, that the pain tolerance was actually the really shocking thing. This, this might be a good segue into maybe another question, but uh, I don't think I've met a person in crypto who's been here longer than a year and hasn't been scammed or hacked of some sort. Really unique set of like wallets that like wallet yeah. infrastructure that they built themselves. It's like, oh, this wallet is for like attaching it to the risky website. And this one's for keeping my crypto safe. And this one's for transfers only. Uh, it gets really like detailed that way. 
Yeah, we're yeah. all mentally ill, so that's yeah. that's why you have a high pain tolerance. But, but, but that actually yeah, leads to a great uh, segue to our next question. It's like, obviously, you studied the landscape before launching your product, right? So could you share with us, what is the current problem with Wallace today? And what have, you know, what weaknesses have you seen common amongst them? Well, I think what you guys were mentioning earlier uh, about uh, different technologies specializing is definitely true in crypto. People in crypto are really smart. They don't just, I mean, they might launch down and try to hyper-specialize, but they try not to do things that are, I mean, the things that don't work, don't work for all that long. And mm-hmm. it's just, that's just sort of what happens. You'll find that a lot of wallets are going to be very good for certain use cases, like for retail investing, if I'm just a person who wants to buy some Bitcoin or some Ethereum and watch the number go up and down, something like a wallet, a custodial wallet that's connected to the exchange is going to be a great option for you because they abstract away a lot of the responsibility on your behalf and it's connected directly to a reliable exchange unless you're the exchange, which shouldn't be named. But the point still stands. Same with institutional exchanges as well. You want in an institutional grade wallet, something that can be programmed, something that can operate really quickly, something that has a high reliability of success and doesn't take too long to make the transaction go. And then of course, if you just want to keep a bunch of crypto safe, like you would just want to buy some and then hold it in a large sum, you want to keep that in a cold wallet and you want to keep that in a safe somewhere where no one can touch it in something like a ledger. But um, these wallets tend to fall into only a couple of use cases. It's either going to be for investment or it's going to be for connecting to dApps. And that's pretty much what your wallets have specialized, have been specialized to do. But there are so many different other projects that are coming out in crypto that deserve recognition and have very good use cases. Something like uh, Absolute Labs, for instance, which is a wallet relationship management system, kind of like a HubSpot, where they want to help people do advertisement and marketing to wallets. Is there a wallet out there that actually helps you build your brand? Not, not exactly. Is there a wallet out there that helps you pay really easily at the store? Not exactly. Nothing that resembles anything like a credit card or some other familiar payment device. It just doesn't exist right now. And so that would be the common weakness among wallets. It's not that these wallets are insufficient to be good at their chosen use case. It's just that there are some kinds of wallets that have yet to be invented that would really propel some of the great innovations and companies and ideas that the space has been building over the last few years. Well, it's, it's funny because we, since we've been in crypto for so long, me, Kent, and a lot of, and a good amount of our listeners, we only, we're so used to wallets just being like a Chrome extension, you know, maybe yeah. like, you know, with a hardware wallet and you're just like clicking and like, okay, you got to approve everything. You got to sign this and that. Like the one time, like the most recent wallet innovation I saw was with FriendTech and how mm-hmm. I don't have to like sign every time when yeah. I make a transaction and how seamless it is as privy. And I'm just like, whoa, like this is like, this is cool. And like FriendTech is the first time I've like had that. So I think now what you're starting to see is like people are rethinking wallets, whether it's with like Privy and FriendTech or whether it's with uh, you at Radical Semiconductor. And so I guess this actually yeah. leads very well to my next question is. Oh, you wait, know, wait, David, I, oh, I had a quick ahead. question first. Um, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. You know, like they were saying how both of us come from, you know, 
our time from crypto has led us to have certain relationship types with our wallet in the sense that we see it more as like a user login, less so as like an actual wallet, you know, that stores our goods. Obviously our goods are in there, but we use it more to like log into certain dApps. Now I wanted to ask you like from your research of, from your customer research, like how are people, you know, associating themselves with their wallets? Do they see it as like an actual extension of their online identity or do they see mm. it as like just a place to store stuff? You know, have you done that type of research to the consumer? Uh, I definitely, uh, the relationship people have to their wallet is, it can be very complicated of course, because you never really know why somebody decided to invest in crypto because people, even though a common use case might be investing, there is a question of, well, what have they chosen crypto as an investment for? Are they trying to use it as an, as a way to hedge against inflation or other kinds of macroeconomic problems? Are they using this as like an opportunity and they want to be really risky about it? So the actual usage of the wallet, I think, is a huge reason why people might pick particular wallets by themselves. Uh, for instance, like a lot of people, despite the fact that FTX crashed, are still going to pick custodial wallets. I read a survey recently about how about 89% of people who are invested in crypto would still trust a custodian. Uh, it's a bit weird for folks who have been in the space for years and years to hear that that's the response, but that is actually the measured response. I think, uh, I forget who did the, did the research on that. I think it might've been Paxos. I have to check that again. Um, but wow. obviously like you're going to use certain wallets in certain ways when it's useful to you. Um, if there is no wallet that is actually making it useful for you to do things, then that's not a relationship you're going to build with it. Yeah. And so let's get into radical. Um, you know, what, what is radical? Like what radical semiconductor, what makes your wallet different and how does, how does it work? Uh, absolutely. So for the folks listening in, uh, audio only, what Dave was holding up in his hand and what I'm holding up in my hand now is, is what we call the light card. This is a smart card based hardware wallet. It looks exactly like a credit card. Uh, it's got the little gold chip in it. It's a plastic rectangular body with some cool graphics on it. It looks like just, just a normal credit card. But really how it works is we've taken the little chip on this smart card and we've replaced the software with a little applet that essentially functions as, uh, as, as a crypto wallet. Uh, this little chip has the capability to sign messages. In fact, that's kind of what your credit card does whenever you spend with it at the store. It's the exact same hardware, only this stores the private key for your wallet and you can manipulate it in certain ways to make it more useful for you. Uh, but that's essentially what it's for. You can sign transactions, use it to log into your wallet and, uh, and uh, connect it to various different phones by pairing it and unpairing it to your phone. So this is a secure experience that we've made here that essentially is a hardware wallet, like a ledger style hardware wallet that connects to your phone and you can transact with it with your phone over the NFC channel the NFC antenna that's uh, at the top of your iPhone, if you have an iPhone. That's essentially what the prototype product that we have made does. 
at, in New York, this was the thing that I was giving out to folks like like DeFi Dave. Uh, mm -hmm. Essentially, this is what our prototype does at the moment. And and when we were talking in New York, you're you're saying like this chip has like ten times as much memory as like your standard credit card chip, right? Yes. So this is uh, the thing that we're working on at Radical Semiconductor is a brand new smart card chip that will allow you to do things like store 10 times the amount of memory, run any kind of cryptographic signature that you want, whether it's something weird like BLS or a ZK anything, or even post quantum cryptography. This is what our new upcoming custom silicon chip is going to do when we make it in 2024. Wait, let's get into that. So like this new yeah. chip will be, it's a, for, what is BLS and what makes something quantum resistant? Oh man. Okay. So maybe I'll make a quick distinction now about where we yeah. are today and where we will be. Next. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yes. The thing that I was handing out was a, was a prototype card that just uses off the shelf standard credit card hardware. It's very limited in what it can do. And it essentially is a ledger style thing. Okay. The upcoming chip that we're making, the way that it's different from the smart card chip we can buy off the shelf today is basically two things. The first thing is we can store a lot more application memory on our smart card chip. So if you want to do something like put the Visa payment app, which pays in fiat currency at a point of sale store, and also keep that next to your wallet and use the same card as a crypto wallet that you tap to your phone or even spend at the store, you can keep it in the same exact container. So that's where the application memory comes in. Where the other advantages, the, uh, the ability to run any cryptography that you want to run, uh, not limited by what's available today, but anything that could come out tomorrow. Uh, we have made a cryptographic circuit that can just kind of run it all. We're able to, run all the new upcoming algorithms that are important for the government that are, that are going to be standardized soon by NIST, such as lattice-based post-quantum cryptography. I could get into that in a second. And then a few other important schemes for the blockchain world, such as a BLS signature, uh, which is an upcoming uh, sort of gaining popularity signature used in certain blockchains. Schnorr signatures are another example of this. ECDSA threshold signatures are another example. All this stuff that I'm talking about right now isn't exactly supported by the current secure elements that you find in your cards, in your iPhone, or even in a data center. You have to have specialized hardware to run this stuff inside of the secure little package. Uh, so that's kind of what it is that we're making here. Sorry for going off on a long rant there, but I get excited. No, it's fascinating. You're literally in 2049. Yeah, Dude, I actually want to ask. <laughs> you actually were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so were we. I, yeah, yeah, all of us. So I actually wanted to ask, um, could you give me another more example of these increased memory and more applets on this thing? So could I effectively use it as like a USB thumb drive? Could I actually put random arbitrary data that I want to put on it? Or how? Yeah, you, you really could. Actually, maybe to back up and open your mind a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, please blow my mind open. <laughs> so the credit cards that you get from your bank actually have an operating system. 
that's kind of crazy to think about, but it really does. That little tiny chip in there is like a little PC. It's got, uh, oh. it's got a memory bank. It's got a processor, and it has a bunch of these little cryptographic cores that do all the security. But it essentially is a tiny, super low power PC that you can store apps on, and you can run applications on, and store memory on. So if you can do it on a PC, you could theoretically do it on a smart card. It's a little bit like, can it run Doom? Yeah, you there's can. There's a card OS. Oh my goodness! So like these have always been computers. We I've never really had that mental model before. I'm like, oh, it's a chip. Yeah. They have always been computers with an operating system. It's crazy. It's called Java Card OS. If you ever want to look into it, that's the most common uh, operating system for your card. It's called Java Card, mm-hmm. uh, and you basically just write your applications in Java. What? Wow. Wow, I'm blown. I'm blown. Is this the next unlock, man? Okay. <laughs> Wait, uh, uh, Kit, did you have a question, or was he still answering? Um, I was going to ask about use cases. So, what are the, what are some? You know, we were talking about like consumer use cases uh, early in the show, and okay, yes, this te- technology is really cool. But what are the, you know, use cases for crypto with this, you know, BLS zk post quantum super smart card? Uh, good question. So the main thing that we're looking at at the moment at Radical, the big sort of value add that we think that the smart card form factor will add to the space is bringing crypto protocols and primitives and products to the point of sale counter. Literally bringing them to the point of sale counter and not just that, but also to any other real life event. Here's kind of the main cryptographic algorithm that we want to take advantage of that you can't easily take advantage of on other kinds of hardware. Uh, There's something out there called a secret sharing algorithm, Shamir secret sharing. Uh, Another way to do this would be called threshold signatures, but essentially the way that it works is like this. You can take a private key. It could be your wallet private key, for instance, or any other piece of information, but let's just say it's your wallet private key. And you can take that key and split it into three different pieces. And you can hand these different pieces out to different trusted people. And in order to reconstruct this key back together, this is the interesting part. These schemes will actually allow you to take only two out of the three pieces and then reconstruct the key again. So for instance, one of the things that credit card users really benefit from is that the issuer can come in and do fraud protection. They can stop a false transaction from going through at the store if they detect that it's fraudulent. If you hooked up your hardware wallet to a point of sale system at the store, who knows whether that point of sale system is going to send you a false transaction and is just going to scam you. Like that is a very valid threat. You would never ever connect your ledger to some device you just don't trust. Mm. With this kind of system, what you can do is tap our card to a point of sale system and your card holds one of the three shards. You give one of the other shards to the issuer and you put the other one on your phone. So with your phone out of the loop, how are you gonna make sure that this transaction can get done? Well, you tap your card on that point of sale system. The vendor asks for permission from your issuer 
is this a valid transaction? Am I allowed to do this? Here are the details. Uh, here's the person trying to make the transaction. And the issuer could say, okay, yes, I will allow that tra transaction to go through. And that shard can come down from the cloud, land on your card, reconstructs, you sign the transaction, it goes through. Uh, but if they say no, then there's no possible way the point of sale system can cause your card to sign something it doesn't want to. Oh, so this is the use case for credit card companies that want to issue a crypto element to their wallets. Yes, exactly. So let, let's say if we want to have like Frax, if I want to pay in Frax on my card, um, and you know we part Frax partners with Visa, for example, to to make this happen. I go to the store, you know, I, I you know get get some Red Bull, tap, boom, like it's your standard card. But let's say like oh like somebody takes I don't I don't know how like detects fraud, but someone tries to spend my Frax. Visa's like no 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 like no. So it's so is that like a good way? Of, this is a good example of like what's going on. Yeah, it actually is. The reason why Visa is so dominant is because they make the payment standard at the point of sale. So every single terminal that says that name Visa on it is a guaranteed secure machine that's not going to rip you off. Hmm. Uh, but in crypto, you just don't have an overarching standardizing body that can prevent these types of false transactions from going through. And uh, that's kind of the point of crypto. You don't want people to be sort of Policing. huge, yeah. yeah, huge gargantuan standardizing bodies that prevent people from doing what they want to do. So the way that you actually introduce the security without having that authority figure block everything you want to do is just bring them in when it's necessary to protect mm -hmm. the user and otherwise just keep them out. Hmm. So all right, let's roll back a little bit because I feel like we live like in we're fish in an ocean and we live in a world where Visa, MasterCard and point of sale is so ubiqu ubiquitous that we don't really think about it. We don't really think about these standards that are in place when you go to the counter to pay for something. Uh, so can we like go back and like define what a point of sale is, how Visa and MasterCard secure it in like the traditional world, and then like we can explain how like you guys are doing the the Web three crypto version of it. No problem, absolutely. So it's oh boy, I'm trying to think about what level I should explain this in. Okay, at a very basic level, uh, you get a card from your bank. Your bank is what's called the issuer. They're the ones whose logo is printed the biggest and brightest on your card. They hold your bank account and they hold your money. Now, in a smaller logo, but still quite prominent, you're going to see uh, one of a few different kinds of payment networks, Visa or MasterCard or Amex or Discover or some other, uh, some other payment network will be present there. They're not actually the ones who hold your bank account. They just process the transaction. They route the information needed to go from one place to another and are the trusted intermediary that makes the whole industry tick. So when you tap your card onto a point of sale system to buy a burrito, for instance, what that point of sale system is doing is checking to see who, whose card is this, whose bank does it belong to, and how much is the transaction going for. And then it'll send that transaction to the bank. And actually, that transaction is going to get touched like seven or eight different times 
throughout this process because of so many different fintech companies that are in the middle doing useful things. But essentially, uh, it's Visa is the thing that's going to connect your bank and the store's bank together and then actually send the information needed to route the money. And then that's how it all happens. And it happens in the blink of an eye. It happens really fast these days. It used to take forever. Now it takes like a few seconds, if that. Uh, and uh, they can be trusted because they actually make the standard. And they have a standardizing body that people vote on. And every single specification gets voted on at a, at a big group called EMVCO. And all the different hardware that is going to be EMV standardized has to go through a lengthy, really rigorous certification process where you actually send the point of sale system to a lab and they try to break it and they guarantee that the software installed on it wasn't tampered with. It's a very in-depth process and that's how they earn their trust. Wow. So many intermediaries, whether it's the FinTech companies in the middle or the lab testing out the physical point of sale, making sure it can't be hacked. It's a lot of people that get involved. Yeah. So, so the, the, the way that you would do this for crypto, how do you actually get trust between all these different parties? Well, blockchain kind of really figured out how to make a really secure tunnel. They have made a tunnel to move money from one place to another without it being you know tampered with in the middle. The thing that you got to be worried about in blockchain is whether you're sending it to the right person and that it's the amount that you wanted to send. Like that's the thing that you need to be careful about. It's not the pipe itself. It's what's on either end of the pipe. That's the difficult part about crypto. And that's the hard thing to figure out. Uh, the reason why the banks actually are useful in a typical point of sale interaction is because they take on a little bit of risk every time that you pay for something. They get something called an interchange fee. Every single time you pay, that merchant actually has to pay 3% of the total price plus a little extra and pay the payment network and also pay the banks. And this is supposed to cover things like credit card fraud. If somebody makes a purchase with your card and it's uh, it was faulty, there is going to be recourse that the issuer gives you. Or for instance, if you lose your card, what do you do? Well, you can't get another card unless you call up the issuer and say, I lost my card. So these types of benefits are things that issuers are the ones that give you. Mm -hmm. They don't just kind of come out of nowhere. Issuers currently take on the risk and uh, provide these kinds of benefits. That's currently what I think is really missing when you are considering crypto for the payments use case. It's those benefits that an issuer or a payment network can easily provide you are kind of just missing. Mm. And it's a good reason. People have good reasons for kicking them out. It's sometimes they're very untrustworthy and there are lots of scammers. But uh, what happens if you lose your hardware wallet? Or what happens if you do business with someone who can't be trusted? Or what happens if you connect your wallet to some merchant's device and it ended up being a hacked device? Uh, there's got to be some kind of recourse. I'm willing to believe that people in crypto would, be, uh, would allow an issuer into the picture as long as something got screwed up, uh, they're at risk of losing their money, having an issue there, issuer there as your safety debt, not as the person who you have to do business with, but you bring them in when it's useful is, uh, is, is the model we're trying to go with at Radical.
So is the future of Radical to become a decentralized issuer of these cards? I think that is one way to put it. That is definitely one way to put it. We would do business with different entities that want to call themselves issuers, whether that issuer is going to be MetaMask or the Ethereum Foundation mm. or a bank or an NFT community wants to call themselves an issuer. That's mm. fine. But we will provide the infrastructure needed to make oh. you an operator of the infrastructure. So you're like an so, issuer as a service of these cards. That is actually a really great way to put it. Yes, we are. And we'll even cover, so, we'll even help you design the graphics for the card too. <laughs> you just want so, some so cherry question, blossoms. Question, question. Um, I want to go through this on like a user journey for a crypto user journey, trying to use this card with this framework. Let's say I am a part of Flywheel and I got the Fly card and I trust that Flywheel is my issuer. Now, when I go and buy my usual burrito at, you know, um, Jose's burrito shop, I am okay. not going to have to, okay, I trust Jose. Like I, I've been to this burrito shop for like 10 years, right? So I don't want anybody to interfere with my payment with, you know, this merchant. No way, Jose. Yeah, okay. exactly. So, so I can uh, just tap without even needing flywheel, right? I don't want anybody to get involved. But now let's say I'm doing a bigger transaction with a more unknown merchant. And I'm like, hey, you know what? I would prefer to have somebody uh, help me monitor this transaction or make sure this transaction is good. Then I'll call in flywheel as the issuer. But like, hey, I'm about to make this transaction. Check it out for me. Is Is that a way to think about it or... Yeah, I, I actually think so. Um, the the sort of card management, wallet management infrastructure is still kind of being worked out. But I mean, okay. there are some very basic things that you can do, such as if there is a vendor that you trust, you can just tell the issuer to automatically trust them and then do a transaction. A whitelist. Like a whitelist. Yes, Joe's Burritos deserves to be whitelisted. So every time yeah. you tap your card, bank, don't even question it. Fly, sorry, Flywheel as the issuer. Don't even question yeah. this. I meant to shop here. If you saw me spend $50 on burritos, don't worry about <laughs> don't it. Don't judge. Trust <laughs> me, bro. This is what I wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, but even in those situations, let's say you do make a really big purchase somewhere and Flywheel, you guys, the issuer, are like, nope, that seems pretty sketchy. But you really did mean to make the purchase. Well, the issuer still doesn't have ultimate control over you because you still got your phone. Uh... All you want to do you, if you just need two of three of the different players to actually sign off on the transaction, you still want to make this purchase. You might get a push notification on your phone saying, hey, let's Are you sure, food. bro? Are you sure, bro? And you go, you know what? Yeah, I am sure. I am going to spend $90 on. Oh, we're really, go we're really going out there with the burritos, huh? You want to go $90 on burritos? Yeah, I do. It's going to be and a you, Chipotle you party. Make transaction final. Tap your card on your phone. Make it final. Uh, and it's all good. So, so, so like this right now in the Web2 world or the, the current situation is I would get an email or a push notification from whether my bank app or something says, hey, we think this is fraud, tap yes, tap no. And then after I tap yes, or, or rather no is not fraud, they say, hey, run the transaction again. So in this, yeah. in, the, in the radical scenario, that won't happen. I won't ever get this touch thing i would just tap my card on my phone to override the issuer's block and then exactly. the transaction just go through exactly. oh that is so oh that is so good you can keep it totally self-custody that way yeah I, I would imagine then you guys would ha have to develop a pretty robust 
I guess, record of every merchant and to see if these are like good acting merchants or bad acting merchants. And there must be like a massive a database of just uh, point of sales. Like, oh my goodness, I'm just, my brain is overloading with all the effective middleman that you kind of have to make sure you whitelist yourself as radical. It it could be it could be a lot. It's true. If radical semiconductor were the centralized arbiter of what are all the good merchants and not, it's a it's a big task for us. But this is where we rely on the issuers. Typically, it's uh, the issuers are totally allowed to create their own whitelists and blacklists and the users as well. We don't want to be in a position where radical is telling people these are good vendors, these are not. You have to trust us. We could probably be helpful in that sense and provide a list of good and bad vendors, including people who have downloaded our software. And we'll, we'll obviously get to have a record of all the people who, all the vendors who download our software and can facilitate these transactions. So we'll know like who's participating. Uh, marking which ones are good and bad is something that we can do to be helpful, but it's not something we would actually necessarily force everyone to take, take part in. I'm sure each issuer in each community that surrounds the issuer can deal with some attestation system for vendors. You have, you know, a bunch of people, you know, and let's say in the flywheel community that go to Joe's burritos. And like, if there's like a record of like, okay, like a lot of people are going here, this is like our spot. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's whitelisted. And who knows, maybe there's like some system It's like, oh, like this community likes it. Maybe we can like give the community discounts or something like that. Um, Ooh, you're getting into some very interesting territory here. Yeah. Oh, wait, wait, can we, we go? Yeah, yeah. Before we dive in, in there, I just want to point out that that is the reason why Visa, MasterCard, and all of these guys have, in addition to paying that, you know, the reason why we, they pay that 3% fee and why we use them is because they already have this network of merchants and point of sales yeah. and you kind of trust them. Right. So my question earlier was about how do we replicate that in a decentralized way? Because we like that. We want that. Right. But we just don't want to have the overlord being able to shut us down when we make a payment. Exactly. So we want what they have. Either we get it from them, license it from them. We create it ourselves. We you can't fork it. So, you know, like what how do you kind of recreate that in like the crypto world? Because um, that's going to be what it takes for your company to really you know su succeed uh, i think all you really need to do is just make sure that any point of sale system you want to interact with has the capability to read our cards and that's pretty much it we could easily interface with companies like like bitpay for instance or zcash or cash app or any of these uh, other folks who have already go. made it onto the point of sale systems obviously these are great if any of those companies are listening i'm ready to talk to you but um, you, heard it. you heard it here but uh, yeah, we our main focus is just making the customer experience at that point of sale system as smooth and as useful as it can possibly be. Bring the issuer into the experience. If there is a network out there that is already making this happen, happy to work with you. If we got to make it ourselves, we will take up the mantle there. But all it really takes is some application on that point of sale system that can read your card. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, let's get into the dis like the possibilities. Like you, when I said discounts, you're like, oh, you're getting somewhere. Like, where am I getting at? So, perks and promotions are actually the real reason why people pick some 
credit cards over another. Uh, at some point, the credit cards were all competing on rates and fees, and that was it. And then some geniuses out there decided that adding in airline miles and discounts on gas and groceries and on, tra on travel and high di uh, dining and things like this are really great perks, and people are willing to pay quite a large amount of money to get those perks on the cards. Uh, like like a piece of credit card hardware should like they cost like two dollars to make, but some people pay like seven hundred, eight hundred, nine hundred dollars a year for things like Chase Sapphire Reserve. It's the perks and the promotions and the benefits you get when you're at the point of sale that really make a huge difference for you. And if there's anything that can be tokenized and made useful and traded, to me it's it's perks and promotions, and points. Um, imagine this. Imagine you guys are the issuers at Flywheel, right? And uh, there's, you guys figure out that there are some portion of your uh, users that live in New York City, and you've handed out cards to people. Uh, and there are some restaurants or stores nearby that you would really love to give the Flywheel fans some kind of perk or promotion to go to their store. Uh, who do you think, what, what kind of, is there a store or a restaurant in New York City that you think Flywheel fans would be, would be going to a lot? Just uh, out of curiosity, maybe, maybe not. Um, let's, let's see. They, let's the see. Sable Coin Deli that Sam Cass or pizza, and no, like a pizza, no, it's a pizza <laughs> place, obviously, like dollar slices. Oh, like a dollar a slice? Yeah, <laughs> dollar slice. Good. Yeah, like buy one, get one free. Oh, I see. Got it. Got it. Got it. Well, if say that that pizza place wanted to advertise to to fans of the Flywheel podcast, what they can easily do is airdrop NFTs to all these cards that represent promotions and discounts for their pizza. Oh. And all you all you need to do as a user is you know you see you get a little push notification. Oh, I got this airdrop. That's pretty great. And all I got to do to redeem it is go down to that store. We just walk down to that store, and uh, when you go to pay, you just tap your card on their system, and it'll automatically tell you, oh, there is an authentic flywheel pod uh, podcast card tapping on my system. This is an authentic NFT promotion that I did send to these cards. Let's apply the promotion. Let's go. That's a very basic example of how you would do an NFT promotion program here. Uh, some interesting ways in which this can be used that I've been staying up all night thinking about that would be really great uh, would be at a crypto event, for instance. How many booths at crypto events are trying to reach folks who come in the door and try to get them to go to their booth? It can be quite hard. They spend a lot of money up getting swag and like uh, hiring people to drum up the interest. Uh, but if you drop collectibles to people's cards at, at the conference, say the conference hands out a bunch of cards and they allow all the different booths to be airdropping collectibles and NFTs to all these different cards to come to, come to their booths, say hi, uh, give them POAPs or something like that, then they can just airdrop it without having to do any additional work. No spreadsheets, no manual writing down of wallet addresses. Oh, thank God. I hate that. None of that factors in. You just... If the card is issued, you're going to know the public address and you can just drop things to it directly. Hmm. I was thinking more exciting. Uh, um, imagine there's a secondary market for pizza coupons. 
Okay. Or, you know what I mean? That's, that's, that's just a joke. But in reality, like, <laughs> yes, a person could have racked up a ton of, like, air mile points, but then I never want to travel. Like, now we could actually theoretically put a price on that. Yes, you could. Yes, right? you could. Like, I, I could sell you my points, right? Um, which I thought is, is very interesting because I've always, when I first thought of the way NFTs should be applied in a um, commercial business type thing is like, if I was an Amazon Prime subscriber for the last 10 years, right, I should receive almost like a anniversary NFT from Amazon. Folks who see that I have this like 10th year anniversary of Prime is like, wow, this guy commits. So then you would offer me like, hey, I'll give you three months free of Netflix. I'll give you, you know, six months free of HBO Max yeah. because, you know, my LTV is ridiculously high. Now, yes. let's say that I'm like, OK, no, I'm I'm going to move to a different country that doesn't support any of these services. But I have all these offers. What if I could sell this 10th year anniversary NFT of Amazon Prime to someone else because they want these perks, right? If you add up six months free of HBO Max, that's ten dollars a month. That's sixty bucks. Add up another three months free right. of Netflix, that's like another sixty bucks. So, like, there's actual value to all of these perks and promotion that's offered to me because yes. of my relationship, right? So, the way I, yes, yeah, I think that is the that's very interesting large unlock, in my opinion. Here's the reason why that works. By the way, it's because by having that Amazon ten year anniversary. NFT, for instance, your wallet has been segmented in the entire yep. universe of wallets. You're going to know that this one particular wallet, which you don't know very much about, has this NFT and they've been a loyal customer for a long time. And that is an interesting person to send drops to try to try to target. Um, segmenting the users is quite hard in crypto. And what yep. you have the opportunity to do if you have a physical smart card wallet that can be branded is you can get people to sign up for these cards, a thousand people in your NFT community, 10,000 people in your Coinbase community. Maybe you learned that at Coinbase, you have a segment of users who really like go-karting, for instance. That's a bad example, but still. Go-karting's fun. You can make a Coinbase go-karting card and just sell it to these people. And now guess what? Their wallets have been segmented and you know all the addresses. Now you can yep. finally target them just like you would target people who hold certain NFTs. Yep, yep. I think segmentation is like you nailed it. And that's exactly what I thought the killer use case for NFTs would be, is allowing for a new customer segmentation because user growth and user acquisition right now in the Web2 space is extremely difficult. I mean, it's difficult everywhere, but it's particularly difficult now in the Web2 space given Apple's is pushed for privacy. So a lot of like mobile apps and things of that nature, or even um, CPG goods are completely killed because yes. of Apple's policy. So this is a whole new type of segmentation. And this is what's exciting. Yes, I'm glad that you see it the same way <laughs> as I do. Yeah, this is super exciting. Yeah, you know, we just like figure out shit and brainstorm and just, you know, we, we, this is what we do on Flywheel. <laughs> I'm honestly sad that we didn't get more time to talk when we were. I know. I, I had so many questions. That's why we have this. That's why we have the podcast. Yeah. Um, now, I, I do have a question, though, like with this like type of segmentation and like categorizing wallets and stuff. Like, is there like a like a flip side to this? Like maybe like, you know, could this like open the door to mass financial surveillance? And if it does, is there like a way to prevent that with ZKs? 
Uh, it's a very good question, actually, because a lot of people who turn to things like blockchain are actually trying to get away from things like marketing and advertising. Mm -hmm. uh, for this, I, I have to rely on some of my recent friends that I met in uh, at this conference, maybe to help me do things like this. Because uh, if you were to do this raw with no, no, uh, no clothing on it, then there's all, then all the things and dangers that you're mentioning are going to be possible. Um, I I met some folks from a protocol called Ocean Protocol. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard of them before. I've but heard of them. What, what they allow you to do is mint NFTs with metadata that only the person holding that NFT can actually see the data inside. Uh, that would be one way to protect any information that comes off of any transactions that happen. Uh, anything more than just somebody moved crypto from one wallet to another wallet. If you were taking stock of things like what did, which exact store did this person shop at is something that you don't want really that public on the blockchain. Mm -hmm. Unless it was in the hands of someone who was actually going to help you do things like somebody was going to give you a relevant collectible or somebody was going to reward you for shopping at a store for five times in a row. Maybe you want the store to know that you shop there five times so you can get your reward, but nobody else. Something like Ocean Protocol will let you protect this kind of information and allow it to be useful for the people who matter, but completely obscured from people who do not. You don't, don't want to see it. I think that there are probably a lot of things you can do in ZK and uh, other kinds of protocols that let you do some things that are similar to this. But this just shows that the great, amazing features and products that are coming out of DeFi and coming out of crypto can be applied in some very interesting ways if we can only unlock the channel to make these things relevant at a payment situation. Yeah. yeah. I think it has to deal with a lot of privacy because, Dave, you brought up an extremely important point because... If all of my credit card transactions are public on the blockchain, anybody can just review them. You right. know, I don't want to be judged. And more importantly, I don't want to be $5 wrench attacked. You know, yeah. what I mean? <laughs> like if you know, I go to, you know, this pizza shop every single day at 1 p.m. And you just wait in front of it with a with a wrench and like I'm, I'm KO'd, you know, <laughs> GG'd. So like this privacy layers is an absolute must. But but what they said pulls on a string of like risk. Could you share with us, like, how are you thinking about, like, people lose their wallets and their phones all the time. And it seems like if I lose both those things, I'm pretty much kind of KO'd in a financial sense as well. Like, what what are some risks that folks should think about in this new talk, uh, in this new 2049 future of ours? Uh, when, when people are actually spending their crypto at the store, it's a good question. Yes. Um, so... Oh my gosh! I think there was a car crash outside my window. Wait, what? Yeah, there was a there was a car crash at an intersection. Holy shit! I hope they're okay. I will, I will go look at that later. I'm a little busy right now with you guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so your question was, what are the risks involved when you start using crypto for payments at the point of sale? Well, right. I mean, first of all, being robbed is a lot more of a reality. When people are actually using their crypto more often, there are just more points where people can come up to you with a wrench, like you said, and then try to try to mug you. 
there, some of these things are going to require a new technology for you to be able to protect against, like, for instance, if you lose your card, for instance. Is there some way that we can make this a little bit better than losing your hardware wallet straight up? Like, if you lose your hardware wallet and you lose your seed phrase, like, you're done for, basically. It's over. It's over. But if you have an issuer in the loop, when something like that happens and you got some recourse, you can get your phone out, you can contact the issuer, and because you got your phone and you got the issuer, each each of these things has a, has a shard of the key, then you mm-hmm. can get it reconstructed and then we can get your crypto transferred to a new wallet. Exactly like card cancellation, like what happens for your credit card today. Uh, that would be an example of new technology that I'm hoping will come out and we're going to pioneer, but hopefully a lot more people get interested in that. Um, but there are going to be some fundamental risks that pop up that are going to be hard to maybe get around. I think some basic things are going to be network congestion would be a great one. I know that doesn't really seem like a security risk, but it kind of is. Uh, if you're going to rely on crypto to sort of start carrying value and moving money around, then you're going to need to be, be sure that the blockchains you use are going to be able to support a lot more higher volume transactions than they currently do. Um, and blockchains experience kind of very strange waves of congestion sometimes. And so the reliability of these networks is probably going to have to improve further, but it'll probably remain a risk for quite some time to really make it the thing that really replaces fiat, for instance. Um, and of course, the risks of people just stealing your devices out of your hand. You're going to be having your open wallet uh, in your hand more often than you did before. Uh, that would be an example where someone could just take the phone and your card out of your hand and then just like steal your crypto that way. Uh, so these are things that get opened up, but uh, I don't think that they're too unmanageable. And maybe With self-sovereignty I'm- comes these risks, you know? Obviously, I have not thought through all these challenges. There are probably going to be a million people who tell me I'm wrong on this, but this is the way I'm seeing it right now. Yeah, no, I have another question for you because the more I look at this card, it reminds me of uh, Gnosis Pay, uh, who recently come out, came out with their card where you can actually go spend like a, a safe, like stable coins in a safe with a card. Have you looked at Gnosis Pay at all and what are the comparisons with it? Yes, the people who are providing that card are my friends over at Tangent. Mm. Tangent Wallet is a great company in Europe that has made an open source smart card based hardware wallet that they they got EMV certified. You could actually use an EMV applet on this card and have it get paid through the terminal. Quite an impressive feat. I'm very jealous of what is going on in Europe because uh, it's quite impressive what they've done. Is, the, is it going on over there because of regulation allows it and we're kind of like, are we like chokehold here in the States? Uh, sort of, uh, sort of. <laughs> oh, I'd say that they're a lot more forward thinking than we, than we are. And uh, the regulation, okay. of course, is a difficult piece of this. But for things like open banking, Europe, Europe has been on top of that for like years already. It's the reason why things like Plaid are not doing as well as they currently are, should be doing because... Uh, the ability to have an app where you hook up multiple different banks and services on the back end is currently like illegal in the US. And it's something that they're trying to push forward, but Europe's been doing it for years. It's kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Europe lags behind, uh, America lags behind Europe for a little while and then we finally catch up. And the same thing happened in EMV. I think we're on the way, 
but their cards currently don't have the capability to run all the advanced algorithms that I mentioned before. We're very unique in that respect. Our upcoming chip is really going to be a breakthrough. Um, so hopefully we'll get to work with Gnosis and we'll work, get to work with Tangem coming up soon once we get our new chip uh, up and running. But yeah, I'm very impressed by what Gnosis Pay is doing. It's definitely the future. Mm. Yeah, I have a, I would, Kit, do you have a question? You know, I just had, I wanted to share my experiences with crypto cards. I've had two in, in, in the past, I think six years. Which one ones? is a shift card from Coinbase back from a long, long time ago. And the second one is BitPay card. And I had BitPay Gen 1 and then BitPay Gen 2. Okay. And my experience, well, the shift card was that you just kept ETH or USDC or whatever in your Coinbase. And as you spend, the shift card just deducts from your balance, like automatically. But then they kind of discontinued that. BitPay, however, you have to loaded up each time so mm -hmm. it is like a prepaid card except you can't prepay it with crypto you actually have to convert your you know btc usdc or ETH into like dollars and load it into the card first and then you can go and spend it and my experience using these cards has been terrible because bitpay uses metropolitan bank and that bank i don't know why but it's susceptible to so much fraud like every single one of my BitPay card has had fraud and I've had fraud on it almost like once per year. It's terrible. And like, it's gone so bad that when I call in, like they already know, which they already know. Like, like they already know like, oh yeah, these three transactions. Yeah. We've seen them on like eight other cards. Yeah. Sorry about that. And I was just like, what? Wow. You know? So it's like this fraud thing situation is, is a serious serious issue and i've never had that with any of my other cards so it's only with the critical cards. so there has there's you know it which bank matters a lot i i it seems so that's <laughs> i'm sorry that you had that experience i knew that the crypto debit cards were uh were sometimes a bit inconvenient to use but i didn't realize that the actual fraud protection on the back end was just so subpar so you had to file a police report, include that police report, and then fill in a paper document, papered it, and then mail it to them to file fraud. Wow. And yeah. would you happen to know like how the fraud was was happening? Did was it like did you have like a credit card number on these cards too? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You, you have a credit card number and one time it was spent by some entity in Virginia at a gas station and at a grocery store. Another time, it was another entity spending it in like somewhere in the Middle East, at like some kind oh, of, you know, and they used it to buy, because I think a lot of them use like phone SIMs as like, or uh, phone credits. That's how they pay over there. Like a lot of them use like kind of like the phone phone credits. So, so they were not able to detect fraud in the, the Middle East? I, dude, that's what I was saying. So anyways, that, that had happened and they, that. It just, it was crazy. I was just, I cannot believe this is a thing. Yeah. I, I have to say, I'm not sure I can explain your experience. That's <laughs> unnaturally bad, even for what I currently know. I'm going to have to look into Metropolitan Bank and see what's going on there. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm just, when I think of crypto debit cards, I just think of crypto the crypto.com wallet during the bull run and the perks that they had. They yeah. had like free Spotify, free Netflix, free this, free that. 
Like it's nuts. I'm like, how is this even possible? Yeah, I think it, it wasn't it the fact that if you could like stake four hundred thousand dollars worth of the crypto.com native token, that they would give you ten percent crypto cash back on all your purchases. Yeah, it was something. Yeah, it was something. It yeah, was an enormous amount of cash back. Yeah, wow. is yeah. Talk about farming. No question. Oh my gosh. Yeah. All right. So um, there's one more question I want to ask, and then we can go to the lightning round. Uh, you know, a lot of this. Uh, with the card has come down to debit what's already in your wallet but i want to talk about credit and if there's a way to integrate you know the radical superconductor card with things like fraxland and i can you know spend like fraxland if i can take out a loan and like use that loan and spend it on the card is there a way to you know integrate with DeFi lending protocols like fraxland uh could you give me a little bit more information about Fraxland? I don't think I've actually investigated what they do deeply. Okay, so Fraxland is, well, look, okay, let's look at Aave. Aave is, you know, peer-to-pool yep. lending. Uh, Fraxland is isolated pairs. And so let's say I have, you know, a bunch of Fraxeth or S-Fraxeth and I want to just like take out a loan in Frax. I have like, I don't know, like $10,000 of S-Fraxeth put it and like I just take out like a loan of like 2000 fracs can I just like hook hook that up to the I guess you can like thinking about it cuz it's just in your wallet yeah te technologically this would all be possible all the things that you can do with your current wallet you would be able to do with a radical mm, card okay i got it so, so yeah yeah so, so i could initiate a transaction and then sign said transaction it's a little computer it's a little computer, man. You okay, can do all fair. these things. All right. Well, wow, oh, you have blown it. my mind this episode. Card OS. Card yeah. OS. Job uh, card how, OS. Yeah, how radical oh, semiductor is unlocking card OS, everyone. Um, thank you so much. Let's go to the lightning round right now. So uh, at the end of every episode, you know, we like to get off chain a bit. Well, we already were off chain, but we like to get, you know, get to know the man behind the project a little bit. So Kit... Uh, take it away with your first question. Yes, yes. So the first question is, Sean, what was your virgin crypto experience? When did you first touch the blockchain, but sex doesn't count? <laughs> um, well, I got some free crypto from Coinbase one time, and that probably won't count. Uh, the real first time I, I did was... Uh, I was invited to a blockchain event, didn't really know what it was, and I got had, I had to download the Phantom Wallet to get to get my first crypto ticket. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't even really check me at the door; they just sort of let me in and just eat food. But that was trust me, bro. That, that was it. I got a crypto NFT ticket. Wow. Okay, I think that was the first time I've I've heard that one. Um, second question: What is your favorite off-chain touch grass activity? hobbies and interests uh i love playing guitar i'm a big guitar player my brother is a country musician uh so i like playing guitar with him and i like practicing on my own time yep sean hackett is a country singer name i can see you <laughs> like it's Ooh, my, my brother's name is jack hackett oh that's even better oh, even better <laughs> jack hack jack, jack hackett. hackett is a great country name yeah oh my god that's so funny your last name's hackett like hack it <laughs> yeah Go for this. Yeah, it's like trying to. Yeah. Um, okay. Next question from me. Uh, what's some advice you would give to your younger self? 
Uh, advice I give to my younger self is uh, try not to be so serious. When I was a lot younger, when I was even like an elementary school kid, I was always very serious about everything that I was doing. I hated to lose. I hated losing games. Um, when I got homework, I wanted to crush it. Like whenever I played sports, it was always to win. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's good to be competitive, but you know, you don't have to be so serious. People really feed off of positive energy if you can give it. So, um, any, to anybody who's giving off positive energy when it's not the easiest thing to do, it really matters quite a lot. Yeah. Amen. I a hundred percent agree. Um, now my question here would be if you weren't in crypto nor tech nor physics slash economics what would your <laughs> professional career path be dang you just knocked out like five different <laughs> uh okay so i was not in tech or crypto or physics or economics yeah <laughs> oh my gosh uh i think i'd probably take up writing I, I like writing a lot in my free time. I'm obsessed with philosophy. If mm. anybody comes and visits me on Twitter and they want to talk philosophy with me, I'd be happy to. What, um, what, 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 who's, what's your favorite school of thought? Who's your favorite philosopher? My favorite philosopher, I mean, the greatest or, philosopher was obviously Aristotle, but I'm a huge mm -hmm. Immanuel Kant fan. I, uh, last year I read The Critique of Pure Reason. It was a, It was a mind blower because of exactly the the detailed and mathematical approach this man was taking to an age-old question yeah the level of rigor that this man undertook to go so like to go a distance so little was so admirable pages to like make a very basic claim and I'm like wow Wait, didn't man. sam say like if he was gonna meet anyone in history it was emmanuel Kant, and he wanted to ask him about but sam kazemi and the founder of frax yeah. he was like i would like ask him like how he came up with it yeah something really? like that yeah, yeah. yeah I, 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 I gotta go talk to him about this yeah so yeah. sam was a philosophy neuroscience double major in college so when you said you were a physics economics double major i'm like oh that's like that kind of reminds me of sam cast oh my god okay well we both love emmanuel kant yeah yeah I got some kantian energy from yeah. you so yeah I i'm lie. a big fan of plato <laughs> i like plato the og it's a great one yeah and i mean aristotle is the father of western philosophy but we're, we're we're this is a lightning round we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up with one more question um and we can talk philosophy after because i'm really into that uh as well who would you want to see as the next guest on flywheel who would you recommend coming on Shoot, uh, did you did you meet did you meet uh, Chang or Boz from Akash? No, not yet. Oh, you got to bring them on. They are doing something very very cool. Uh, Akash Network is oh, building gosh. a really interesting protocol where you basically put AI compute resources on the blockchain and you can buy and sell the tokens. So if, oh, if you want wow. to represent like AI compute in terms of hours and represent those as tokens. And then the price goes up and down depending how much people need the compute. It's a great business oh, now cool. because there are so many yeah. AI startups coming out. And so being able to cheaply purchase AI compute resources when they need to, when they need to get it quickly and then you get it cheaply is 
or even yeah. like predict when it, it's going to cost more and like use it as a market is a great business and they're doing did great. You, did you see Arthur Hayes's talk I took in 2049 pumping his Filecoin bags and using AI as the catalyst? It's like, oh, they're going to need like storage somewhere. Like this Filecoin, like AI is going to use Filecoin. So, you know, this plays into Arthur Hayes's AI narrative, except he just doesn't hold in a, ca- a cash bag. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, it sounds like you and the Akash guys would have a great conversation. I could probably yeah. set that up. That would be interesting. Like then we'll be like really ahead of the curve here, but yeah, no, these we'll, we'll write it down. We'll put it to the list. Like we're interested, but anyway, Sean, thank you so much for coming on radical semiconductor. Uh, where can people find you and radical semiconductor online? You can find us on, radicalsemiconductor.com or radsemi.com if you don't want to type it all. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore Hackett. Uh, you can find Radical Semiconductor on Twitter at radcards. Um, and yeah, we have our Discord there. You can come talk to me there. We'd, I'd love to have a conversation with you. Yeah. You heard it here, folks. Radical Semiconductor. Sean, thank you so much for coming on. Hope to see you soon. All right. Thank you, guys. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the post game. I'm your host, DeFi Dave, here with Capital K and Sam McCullough. We just wrapped up a fascinating episode, insightful episode with Radical Semiconductor. That is a mouthful of a name. I wonder if they're going to shorten it. Rad card. Rad card. I, I would, you know, he said Rad Semi. I think they should just shorten it to like Rad Semi. I think that, you know, that, that, that would be pretty, but I'll, I'll talk to him after. Uh, we just wrapped up. Fascinating show. We, you know, this was like our first real hardware. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, project that we had on the show, and I know we usually like do DeFi like stuff on chain, yeah. but this is like the actual cryptography. This is you know <laughs> this is this is the stuff yeah, that brings yeah. like you know tens of millions of people into crypto, and like the cool part part is they can use this and not even realize that they're using crypto. So, what are your guys' thoughts on this episode? I was really impressed. You know, like Sean said that he's got a background in physics and economics. And uh, he built a particle accelerator. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> like, what am I doing with my like university yeah. career? This guy's crazy. And so, like, to hear him talking about that, you know, it's like uh, LeBron going to Miami. And it's like, you know, I could have gone anywhere, but I chose to. The decision was to go into crypto, right? I. It feels like the right thing to do that we're bringing these people in that are building the the forefront of financial technology. Yeah. yeah. You know, you know that, that saying when everyone's like, Oh, the smartest people are, you know, flooding into crypto and working in crypto. Always thought it was a meme until, you know, Sean brought <laughs> all his Stanford homies with him. And, you know what? They're like cryptography. A person's like super deep in hardware. And obviously mm-hmm. he's a rock star himself too. So I thought that was super cool to hear from folks who are, not mm-hmm. in our industry, but definitely trying to build something for our industry. Yeah. And that's super cool. It, it's honestly incredibly promising because it's really easy to get jaded <laughs> in crypto with all, you know, with everything, with whether it's like rugs or scams or, you know, just like grifts and this and that. But to see like good old fashioned builders trying to solve a hard problem and like offer a solution, like put quite clearly is, you know, it brings some optimism to me, no pun intended. Yeah. Brings some, it brings, shines a light. Um, and I thought, it, you know, I think he also highlighted the advantage of being crypto, which is that it it allows for massive and like 
wider array of iteration at a breakneck pace that isn't just possible in other industries like defense and bank and banking for whether it's because they're entre entrenched or established or regulations or this and that. Uh, but crypto, just like the way it is, just it's you move fast and you break things, but like you move, you don't move too fast and break too many things because you know it's crypto and you don't want to get hacked. But you're able to iterate at a rate that is not possible in other industries, which made it incredibly attractive for builders like Sean and his team to you know apply this app you know this ap application to crypto operating system guys Operate, the operating, yeah, operating this system. Is a, i am never going <laughs> to look at my card the same way again yeah so so, so so let me ask you guys what was the one thing that you learned that just blew your mind and mine was the card os the oh, card, the card OS. java os yeah yeah java os i was like wait you can code this in javascript are you fucking kidding me like i, I, I was just saying like imagine somebody on linkedin put like java cart os developer <laughs> you know like what yeah. is that subset of people who focuses on that yeah probably I, probably is a very good industry to be in like with visa mastercard just like dominating as they do yeah. i mean great industry honestly like i i i never really thought of like the point of sale that like until it, i mean yeah like we go use our credit cards every day but we really don't think about what's happening in the back end and like all the middlemen behind the scenes. And he's like, yeah, there's like seven different organizations that basically that trust and verify your transaction that happened in the background. Mm -hmm. And he also highlighted the advantages of blockchain, but also we highlighted kind of the risk and disadvantages. And like one of them was financial surveillance. Yeah, I think there's ways around it. I mean, we talked mm -hmm. afterwards on the podcast. I think if you had like a tornado cash like pool where like the issuer could control like the money that goes in but then you can make transactions from it. That would probably work. Uh, I know I know one project that's building something like that where you have like shared funds and then you can have like an institutional partner who's who's controlling that. So I think the I think we'll solve it. Uh, right now there's not really a good solution. I think that like Gnosis Pay just has probably public transaction mm -hmm. information, but you know, maybe it's something that people want or don't really care about, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll I, see I think it's a solvable thing. I think it's a yeah. solvable thing. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I'm not quite concerned on that. I'm more concerned about like the meat space and the world of atoms and how. Oh, you, you mean like the wrench attack? Like, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Or the wrench attack. I'm talking about like even the point of sale, right? Like knowing this merchant is trustworthy or not. Like Visa and Mastercard, they have all of this already. Like they have a record of every single merchant out there, every single point of sale system, and they know what's a scam. And like they they flag mm -hmm. merchant codes that are repeat offenders and like they're living on this treasure trove of data obviously only they have now if we wanted to do a decentralized version of that mm -hmm. you know what do what do yeah i think if you're using like some sort of account abstraction system you could probably build all that in at at the at the contract level at, yeah but future, you right? had to like go to each either you have a new point of sale system who or you take one who's currently or like square or, or block now Right, mm -hmm. you know, they're a point of sale system, and maybe they integrate and they open up their books to mm -hmm. let us see all the merchants. Like, I don't know. I think it's these kind of like this is hardware. You know, there's the word hard is in the name. Hard, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, so it's bound to be a difficult problem to solve, yeah. but definitely a worthy yeah. one. You know, I, it, you know what got me really excited was mm -hmm. the uh, possibility for reward points, um, and like the <laughs> kinds of different rewards you could do. Um, with cards like this and you you basically utilizing crypto as a better means of distributing rewards than would exist in the old system and then you could make a secondary market for those rewards as you know 
who knows what like kind of fun games you could do. <laughs> yeah, that was the first time I, I mentioned my like you know Amazon NFT anniversary idea because like when I first saw NFT, I was like, dude, it has to be a representative of a relationship between you and a brand. Mm-hmm. You know, that is something that has never been able to you know be sold off before. Uh, but yeah, I this is a very fun space. I'm glad you brought this on. And like I said in the intro, at first I was like, what the hell is they yeah. thinking? I was like, what are we talking about here? No, yeah. I, I have an eye for things. You got to tr- trust me, bro. <laughs> trust me, bro. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I feel like this is going to be one of those interviews that we're going to look back on in a few years. Like, damn, we like had them on early. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah like, I agree. Yeah, like, you know, this revolutionary stuff right here. Yeah, it was cool. I, it was really interesting to hear him talk about like Gnosis Pay as well too. I mean, because you know, he said he knows the team that they've got like Europe's yeah, really yeah, well yeah. situated for all this, and that uh, they're building in hard mode here in in the states. So yeah, uh, good luck to them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, good luck uh, to them. Yeah, but it looks cool. I mean, I like the I like the idea of the system. And there's definitely uh, Sean does a a great job of explaining how everything works in the card mm-hmm. system. So. I think Dave, you're does, gonna have to you're gonna have to film yeah. a video of you like making a transaction with it. Yeah, oh, yeah no, yeah, I, yeah. I I made sure to actually use the wallet before the show, and it's <laughs> actually really clean, like very good, like really like the UI of the wallet's very very good, um, and you can like you can access like LSDs, you can access like AMM, you can do you can do like anything you want like on chain like in this like wallet interface, and you sign every transaction, you're just like putting this again the N the NFC chip again you know the chip the NFC chip against it. So that's awesome. It's really cool. It's really well done. So you know we're definitely gonna keep an eye on Sean and Rad Semi Radical Semiconductor in the future, and to make <laughs> and sure there to may catch, or there may, may not be a fly card. Yeah, fly card sure. for the Actually, fly. That community. was the most. That was like I think the, the most interesting thing for me was that like the most expensive part of those cards is the artwork that goes on it. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, you just need like Sylvester Stallone in the fur jacket right here, and my own custom card, some cherry yeah. blossoms right here. That's you know, but to make sure to catch up with that. You gotta go subscribe to flywheeldefi.com for all the latest flywheel updates, news, insights, articles. We have them all cooking. Flywheeldefi.com. Go and subscribe. Make sure you subscribe to your YouTube. Hit that bell button right now. Never miss an episode. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Give us a like. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and TikTok at flywheeldefi. Same username all across the board. Same thing with Telegram at flywheeldefi. Make sure you oh, wait, join us. Don't what? Yeah, the friend tech. I wait. Maybe. I was I was in friend tech too. I was about yeah. to say if you want exclusive friend, you want exclusive notes to all the episodes, all the little little details that you want to go back over because you know we say a lot. And it's hard to catch everything, so to not catch a beat, make sure you go get a key to unlock ah. uh, to unlock all the insights on our friend tech at FlywoDefi. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at DefiDay22. Follow me at 0x capital underscore K. And I'm a traders underscore inside. And we will see you next week. Peace. Peace. (laughs) (laughs) And it's durable. (laughs)
<laughs> yeah. Everything said in this episode is not financial or tax advice. This channel is strictly for educational purposes and is not an investment advice or solicitation to buy or sell any assets or to make any financial decisions. This video is not tax advice whatsoever. Please talk to your accountant and do your own research.